Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Last week in our studies of Proverbs, we talked about being trustworthy. And one of the things we talked about, the last point in trustworthiness is um, your appointments. And we went to James and talked about that we shouldn't say what we're going to do tomorrow, but rather we need to say, Lord willing. And so it was kind of fun yesterday morning as we were traveling downtown to, to go to the rescue mission. And, um, and then I saw the text from Gerald and then called him and how everything just changed within five minutes. And so, um, Lord willing, right? So we'll, we'll continue on with this study of the book of Proverbs. We have, um, considered then much of Proverbs as we've gone through it. We've considered the, as Nadia shared earlier, the fear of the Lord and uh, how that's the beginning of wisdom. It's also the beginning of knowledge. And then we've considered then um, all these aspects of wisdom as we've come through it. We have transitioned then into these pearls of wisdom, um, looking at life and health, food and drink, chesed uh, and mercy and truth, then how that plays out into our life that we need to then trust Yahweh, honor him with all of our um, material resources, need to accept his chastisement, his love, the expression of his love. And then we've moved last week into chapter six, looking at some character traits then um, of those who fear the Lord, those who are walking in wisdom. And so last week we considered the beginning of um, Proverbs chapter six, um, looking at being trustworthy um, from the context of not being surety for someone else, but if you become surety, then sticking to that. And we'll talk about the financial part of that later on, as we've talked about. This morning, Chuck read the next portion of Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. And it's really kind of fun because um, the creator God chooses then to allow us to be taught by probably one of the very smallest parts of his creation. Now, I know that if you get into biology, we can get into a lot of things that might be smaller in ant. But when we consider actually the animal kingdom and, and those kind of things, the ant is probably one of the smallest things that we can imagine. And yet we're told to go to the ant to consider her ways and to be wise. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look, first of all, at the exhortation. And then secondly, we're going to look at some applications coming out of this passage. So the exhortation is to go to the ant, you sluggard. That's a very complimentary term. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. The first thing I thought about when I'm reading this passage and I'm analyzing it is that I need to go to the, to the ant. And I need to consider her, her ways. So I don't know about you, um, if this has ever happened to you, but when I was working, well, actually, even before I did home improvement business, um, I remember many years ago, um, I took the, the family. We went out um, during Desert Storm, actually, to to Bush Field to watch the planes coming in, landing um, at the airport. And I got out and I grabbed Jessica, who was just real, real tiny, and I grabbed her and I put her up on my shoulders so that she could... She could watch over the, the airfield and, and see the um, the planes landing. And then 
not very much long after I put her up on my shoulders and, and she's watching this thing, I started feeling stinging in my legs. And I looked down and, and I was just literally covered with fire ants. And so I, I threw her into the van and, and I, you know, turned around, sat into the van, just start swiping them off. And anyways, you kind of can figure out where the rest of that story goes. It happened to me again when I was on a job site. And fortunately, the people weren't home. Um, my dad had called and I had to go up a hill to get good reception where this job was. And I was standing there talking to him. And all of a sudden, again, I felt that burning cessation in my legs. And I looked down and there I was covered with fire ants again. And so you can imagine where that story goes. But it doesn't take long, isn't what I'm getting to. It doesn't take long for you to disturb any ant pile for there to be ants everywhere. Do you ever wonder how do they do that? How do ants respond in such a marvelous way? Well, their design. The primary means of ant communication is through pheromones. Now, I might have said that wrong. Gabrielle can probably correct me on that one. But pheromones are a chemical substance released into the environment whose scent produces various reactions. Now, that's a big, long term there. But what God designed these ants with was the ability to excrete this chemical substance through multiple glands on, on their legs and on their, their abdomen and, and everywhere in such a way that the other ants instantaneously would be able to smell this. And based upon the concoction that um, of these pheromones that they, um, that they released, they would know whether this was for, for gathering food, whether this was going out and protecting themselves to defend their, um, their colony or whatever. And, and then in that design, then the second part would become their diligence. And that is that when they smelt the pheromone, they go into action immediately. So you watch ants going off to harvest food in, and they're following this path. And I don't know if you've ever played with ants like I have. And I'm sure if you're a guy, you have. Anyways, um, and sought to disturb their their path. Well, they're following this chemical trace. And so the more ants that follow it, the more they lay down their secretion, the better for them it means that the harvest really is. And so they really head out that way. minute you break up that that line, then they got to go out scouting again. And it's an amazing thing how God has designed them such that um, every one of them has a, a part to play. And, and they play then that part. And they're, they're able to adjust the part that they're playing based upon the need of the moment. So there have been scientific studies done um, using the pheromones and stuff like that to analyze how the ants actually work within their colonies. And so... The harvester ants go out in order to harvest. But what some of these studies have done is they've made sure that a certain segment of the ants, how they did it, I don't know whether they put little dots of paint on them or whatever, that, that those certain ants would never find anything. And so that the other ants, though, they would find things. And that the more they found, the more they were rewarded. And so, but the other ants that never found anything wound up stopping going out. And they stayed back in the colony and became tenders of the, 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 um, 
the not the seeds the um the babies you get what i'm where i'm going with that one the eggs the larvae and and what an amazing thing how god has designed them to be diligent creatures that they would be productive and industrious in all the ways about what their god if you would has designed them to do they prepare then in the summer and they gather in the harvest and that's what we're told here in proverbs chapter six that um having no captain overseer or ruler provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest they don't need to be told twice they smell that that warning they smell that um exhortation that there's food and they respond and then they go and do what they are designed to do so how does that then apply to us well i see it as a call to diligence and productivity there's that first of all the call to be properly focused um if you would we're going to turn to these passages and and we're going to read read these um, as we go to them. So turn, that's supposed to say Matthew 6, 31 to 33, not 1 to 33. That would be a long passage to read. But Matthew 6, beginning at verse 31, we want to read the, the, the next three verses there. Matthew 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. I could have read earlier where Jesus talked about the, the sparrows and how they don't build a home and, and how they don't sow and yet they always have things. And I could read about the, the flowers and how they spin not and yet they're clothed greater than Solomon. But to concise it with what Jesus said here, our Father knows exactly what we have need of. He has designed us in the same manner that he has designed ants. And he has designed us equally to be productive. Think about when he, when he created Adam. Before he ever made Eve, before he ever children were ever born, he created Adam and he put him into the garden and he told him, if you would, to be productive, to guard, tend, to keep the garden, to keep the plants, to tend the plants. Before anything else, Adam was told to work, to work, to be productive to be diligent, to do the task which God had created him to perform. So God knows my needs. I don't have to worry about those things. So therefore, I need to put this into a proper perspective. My first and foremost, if you would, as a believer, priority ought to be the kingdom of God. And I ought to be, as we're going to see, productive for the kingdom and there's this balance then because god created me to be 
productive. God created me to be industrious. God created me to tend, if you would, his creation. And yet, above that is seeking first his kingdom in his righteousness, knowing that the same God who designed me can also provide for me, just like he provides for the ants, the, the, the birds, the flowers, and every other part of his creation. Secondly, Philippians chapter 3, 2021 tells me that um, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So again, the reminder that ultimately I'm not an American. Ultimately, I am a citizen of heaven. That's an important thing to think about, especially as we come into this time of, of the election, that the decisions I make here in the earth ultimately ought to go through the, the guide, through the, the um, sift, if you would, of a heavenly mindset, that I am an American Christian, not a Christian American. The second word there is the ultimate noun defining who I am. The first is just a, a, a description. And so I happen to be an American, an American Christian. I am a believer in Christ. I am a believer in Yahweh. That is who I am in my essence. I just happen to live in the United States. So my ultimate allegiance is to Christ, not to the United States. Though I may be patriotic, and though I may serve in the military, I need to understand that my ultimate allegiance is to Christ. So same way when it comes to this concept of productivity. My ultimate allegiance in my productivity needs to be heavenly minded. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. This talks about the body of Christ and how the body of Christ is being brought together. In verses 4 to 7, we read um, about how, how each one of us have been given a gift. So we begin reading in verse 4. It says, there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversity of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That God has given to each one of us specifically a gift that he wants each one of us spend specifically to use within the realm of this local body. And so, again, not for myself, but for him. I'm called to be, if you would, diligent and productive for the kingdom's sake, serving the king with what he has given to me to bless others with. Finally, Acts 4, verse 32 to 37, and then we'll move on to um, more application concepts here. But in Acts 4, 32 to 37, we read of the, the early church and the interaction of the early church in um, how they came together. And again, another concept, if you would, of having a heavenly mindset 
being diligent and productive within his kingdom. Acts 4, beginning of verse 32, says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Sounds like the ants. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there was then this concept of well, as well of, if you would, communalism. Communalism, not communism, but communalism. Communism is that political um, stratagem where you take what belongs to others in order to distribute it to others that you choose to distribute it to. Communalism is when you self-sacrificingly give what is yours for the good of the common group. And so that's what we see that the early church performed. Again, that sounds like the ants. The ants, when they smell the pheromones, they go into action and they provide. They go out and they harvest, not for themselves, but for the whole colony. When they go out and they fight, it's for the whole colony. In fact, there is a, a colony of ants, a type of ant down in South America that literally seals up its its um, holes every night from the outside. So that ought to lead you to the next thought process, and that is, how do they do that? That means that there are ants, how do they decide this? I don't know, that willingly stay outside and sacrifice themselves to the predators of the evening to seal up the hole so that the rest of the um, colony will be spared through the night. No one, if you would, they don't have the captain or the overseer. No one basically tells them that they have to do that. Somehow they know that that is for them to do. The ants are an amazing thing to me. I mean, because again, think about the, the little teeny weeny, my hand's way too big for an ant. And do they got a brain? Do they have a soul? I mean, what are they thinking? How do they think? Are they only doing things by intuition or whatever? And yet our gracious Heavenly Father has designed them in such a marvelous way that they recognize a common good, if you would, that is greater than they are. Again, what I'm talking right now totally goes against the American mindset. As Americans, everything is all about me. Numero uno. But Jesus told us continually that we need to change the way we think. That it's not about Bob. It's all about God. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about his righteousness. And that I need to set him first, knowing that then he will actually meet my needs. He knows what I need, and he will meet those. He's, he's made the promise. I've seen it in my own life. 
But I want to move on to this second part um, in the application, and that is the call to be properly productive. Because that's what we, we see coming out of this thing. That's the, the major teaching that's coming out of this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways. And then he gives this illustration of what the ants do. But then he says, beginning of verse 9, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler in your need, like an armed man. That term for sluggard is, is used primarily only here in the book of Proverbs. And it is primarily, other than these two times here in Proverbs 6, translated as a lazy man. Now, I kind of wondered why um, ants were referred to in the feminine, but I realized it's because they're ants and they're not uncles. Anyways, but I also then wondered when it came to the sluggard, why was he, why was it being used in a manly sense too? You know, why is there a masculine um, ending on it? So you can take that for whatever it's worth, but boy, that was a real challenge to me that the ants were, were, were referred to as females and the sluggard was referred to as a guy. And yes, I really do resemble that remark. And so, um, Many people say, ah, it's hard to believe that you're lazy. I am L-A-Z-Y. And it's in in me. I would, I mean, I don't have a problem at all being unproductive. That's a part of my sin nature. That's not the way God designed me. That's selfish and self-centeredness. And I need to comprehend that. I need to understand that. that. That God said one day out of seven, the Shabbat, the Sabbath, that I was supposed to set apart in order for me to rest physically, but also then to be renewed spiritually by focusing on him. But we tend to want to do that more often than that. And we as Americans want to have at least two called the weekend where we're doing that. And so we tend to be, if you would, as a whole, lazy people. We work when we need to but we work in order that we might be able to play. And so I want to encourage you right off the bat with this of rejecting the temptation of laziness. It is a temptation for us to be non-productive, if you would, to be lazy. Proverbs 26, turn with me there. Proverbs 26, verses 13 to, to 16 we're going to see also within this Proverbs 22 and Proverbs 19, because two of these verses in Proverbs 26 are actually quoted twice within the book of Proverbs. I'll mention it um, as we go there. But Proverbs 26, verse um, 13, beginning of verse 13, says, The lazy man says, There is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the street. That's also mentioned in Proverbs 22. As a door turns on his hinges, so does a lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. That's also in Proverbs 19. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Consider, if you would, the negative character traits of, these, of this lazy man. He makes up stories in order to get out of work. Now, is it true that they had lions 
in Judea and in that area during that time? The answer is yes. So is it a, is it a plausible story that maybe there would be a lion that was in the street? And clearly you don't want to be in the street when there's a lion in the street. So the answer is yes, that's very plausible. However, we're told that the lazy man uses that commonly, if you would, as an excuse in order that they don't have to go out and do things. The lazy man is like, doesn't want to get out of bed, continues to turn. So this morning I heard the alarm. Now, fortunately last night, I, it needed to be charged. My little phone that I use as an alarm needed to be charged. And so I had to go plug it in um, and leave it sit over on the windowsill. This morning, I felt like this guy. I, I had just rolled. I know I did. I mean, it's one of those things, you know how when you're, you're sleeping, sometimes you just kind of know that you just rolled over and you're in that comfortable spot. And I just rolled over and I was in that comfortable spot and the alarm went off. And I rolled over, turned on my hinge, and I went to, to pop off the alarm so that I could just kind of lay there. But it kept going off because last night I had moved the alarm over to buy my windowsill, which meant that after three or four times of going off, I had to get out of bed and go turn it off. The lazy man doesn't want to get out of bed, wants to spend that extra time in bed. Now, again, God's saying it. I'm not saying it. If it's stepping on toes, I apologize. Well, maybe. But it's from God's word, not my own. The lazy man buries his, whole, his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it out. Do you know what happens when you're not productive? You really do become more and more sluggardish. You tend to lose energy more and more and more. So as we, we see people who become couch potatoes, they really do begin to lack energy. Entropy happens. Anything left to itself begins to decay. And your body will begin to decay. And it'll start to lose energy. So this guy, he can't even pick his hand back up to feed himself. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Why? Because he won't research, research the subject. He won't look it. He just He's going to be lazy. And he's just going to answer according to his own wisdom and his own knowledge. We live in a day when there's too much information that's out there. We can never say that we can't find the information. It's just a click away. And we've actually got to be careful about the information that we're receiving. Do you desire to learn or not? As David shared earlier regarding from the word about whatever floats your boat, that we all have a boat, and that is reading God's word, that God will meet you where you're at. And so, People have not because they desire not. And I'm talking about from the word of God. You have got to begin to take time to read the word. And that means stop hinging on the bed, but getting up and taking the extra time in order to read God's word. It has to become a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. You you go out and you you work, if you would, during the summer when the when the the the, the the, the crops are growing so that in the harvest, you can reap it. But again, you're not going to reap it unless you go out in the harvest. Proverbs 20, verse 4. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, A lazy man, the lazy man, will not plow because of winter. 
he will beg during harvest and have nothing. Well, again, there was this process of, of agriculture. You got to plow the field. Secondly, you got to plant the seed. Then you've got to continue to, to tend the, the crop, watering it, um, weeding it, taking care of it. And then finally, there is the harvest. But you can go out and you can plant seed if you would. But if you haven't made the fallows, if you haven't dug up the ground, it's not, they're not going to go very far. It's not going to be done very well. You can go out and you can water if you haven't put seeds in the ground. It's not going to do anything for you. You can go out in the harvest, but you're not going to get anything if you haven't done the rest of the process. And so this lazy man, it's time to plow the field, but it's cold outside. And so he puts off to tomorrow what he could have done today. You get what I'm saying? And so that lazy man continually puts it off till it's too late. If you put it off till it's too late, then you don't get your, your crop in. If you don't get your crop in, you don't reap the rewards from it as well. Proverbs 21, verse 25 states, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Again, that lethargic, lazy person who's been sitting on the couch, they have no energy because they've been sluggardish. Now, all of a sudden, they have this these dreams, these desires that they, they want to fulfill, but they don't have the energy to do it. They don't even know how to accomplish it, where it starts. And it winds up, if you would, killing them because they cannot bring themselves to be productive because of the pattern in which they have placed themselves throughout their life. Proverbs um, 24, verses 30 to 34. Turn with me there. And we'll see at the end of this one, a renewal of what we read in Proverbs um, 6. Proverbs 24, we read this last week, um, in or two weeks ago, um, when we were considering the ch chastening of God and how we learn through circumstances. Proverbs 24, beginning verse 30. I went by the field of the lazy man, the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. Note this, how he uses these concepts synonymously. A lazy man is somebody who's devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received musar, instruction, chastisement. A little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler in your need like an armed man. I went by the field of the lazy man. I saw what it looked like and I said, wow, I don't want mine to be like that. So then I applied it to my life and decided to become industrious. I decided to become diligent, to become productive. The question is, do we? Do we really see how that plays out in other people's lives and seek then to apply it to our own lives? So I need to reject the temptation to be lazy, but I need then 
to move forward toward what we're called to do, and that is to redeem the time. Redeeming the time, we're told in Ephesians 5, knowing the days are evil, using time wisely, not wastefully. So Proverbs 13, verse 4, we're told, the soul of a lazy man desires, but has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. The soul of the diligent, the one who is industrious, the one who is committed to the task, will be made rich. This concept is then brought into the New Testament for us as well. And as I already quoted from with Ephesians 5, I want to read it in context, though, because, again, it's going to sound like it came from the book of Proverbs. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15, we read, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Straight from the book of Proverbs, right? But as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It is God's will for us, his children, those who are called by his name, to not be selfish, self-centered, sluggish, lethargic, lazy people, but to be those who are redeeming, buying back the time, knowing that the days are evil. Not participating in the, 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 the evil way, if you would, that the world is using the time, but transforming our minds that we might be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So redeeming the time, knowing the days are, are evil. Romans 13. Turn with me to Romans 13. Romans 13 is the chapter which begins by discussing um, the governing authorities and how we're supposed to be in submission to the governing authorities. But then he moves on after that discussion um, in this concept of love, beginning at verse 10, where he says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time. Remember, the times are evil. Do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I believe that's really, really true. I really honestly believe Jesus is coming in my lifetime. Regardless of whether he does or he doesn't, it doesn't matter. I know I'm getting closer and closer. And as I look at the world, man, I just realized, I mean, the days are getting more and more evil. And it's getting closer and closer to the time when Jesus is coming back. So we're told, for now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in the revelry, in drunkenness, not in lewdness, in lust, not in strife, in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 
Now, I know when we read that many times, people look at the to fulfill its lust provision for the flesh and they think automatically pornography. They think um, about guys struggling with the lust of the flesh and that kind of stuff. But the lust of the flesh is is many kind of areas. I mean, we're talking about eating and drinking and and um, women also lusting after men relationally. It may be us lusting after the things of the world, the physical things that are of the world, wanting those things. And so the idea is make no provision for your flesh, rather that you might walk in the spirit, not in the lusts of your flesh. Paul says to the um, believers of Galatia in chapter five, he says, for the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you would. We need to, to desire to take up and put on, if you would, the fruit of the spirit. Putting off, casting off the works of darkness. Galatians 6, then, coming out of that passage I just referred to with the, the works of the flesh and the, the works of the spirit, talking about not walking in the, the, the works of the flesh, but walking in the, the, the fruit of the spirit. Now he comes into Galatians 6, talking about how we interact with one another, then how we're not, um, we're not consuming one another with our envies and such, but rather we're seeking to, to bear one another's burdens. And in beginning of verse 7, he says, and do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season... We shall reap if we do not lose heart. I am continually challenged every time I read a passage, every time my mind is brought back to the passage, to ask myself the question, what am I sowing? What am I sowing into the field of my life? Am I spending more time focusing on the things of this earth or the things of heaven? Am I really walking as a citizen of the earth or a citizen of heaven? Am I, am I acting more as a laborer of the world or a laborer of the kingdom of God? Am I seeking to invest in this world, hoping to get a bigger part, a bigger chunk, greater treasures on this earth? Or am I, am I tilling and, and investing and sowing and watering and redeeming the time into the kingdom of God in order that I might reap a heavenly reward? God's word is pretty clear. Sometimes I wonder if we're reaping things we don't want to reap because we've sown what we ought not to have sown. And we wonder why it's happening. Or we want to blame God for it. It's not God's fault. We make the decision to sow the seeds that we're sowing. We make the decision to use the time as we use it. God has blessed us with a bumper crop of pecans. pecans. But they're meaningless. If I don't go out and 
pick them up. And if I pick them up, it's still meaningless if I don't crack them and eat them. I love pecans. And I didn't buy this house because it had pecan trees. God just blessed me with pecan trees because knowing I loved them, I guess. And so that my favorite time of the year is right now where I can go outside and I can rejoice in the God of creation who designed these special nuts. Now, you may not like pecans and that's your problem, but I love them. And, and, and I love going out and just as I'm picking them up, cracking two of them together and opening them up and eating them. And but not the, the bad ones. I've heard some people have eaten some of the bad ones. Don't eat the bad ones. Eat only the good ones. And and. To be productive in the time. Well, in the same way, it's to go out and to knock on doors. Now, I'm not trying to make everybody feel bad about whether you come knocking on doors or not. Go knocking on the doors in your neighborhood. Talk to the people at Walmart. Talk to the people at work. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be productive in the field. You reap what you sow. If we want to see people saved, then we ought to be productive in the fields. Finally, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, beginning verse 2. We read, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, diligent, steadfast in it with thanksgiving, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Note the two things that Paul states again here of how to be productive. What we ought to be doing in the summertime, if you would, so that we have the harvest in the end. Praying steadfastly, vigilantly, praying that, that God would open up doors. Praying that God would give us boldness and open our mouths that we, ought, that we speak as we ought to speak. That our speech would be with grace, seasoned with salt, and that we would walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. But prayer, again, takes time. It takes a commitment. I need to take time to get on my knees before the God of the universe knowing that I am actually then, quote-unquote, working in the fields, just as the ants, having no captain, no overseer, no ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. That pheromone, in my mind, is the Holy Spirit for you and me. As the ant smells, if you would, that pheromone, and then just does what, what it knows it needs to do. The Holy Spirit, God has given to you and me the Holy Spirit to just instinctively let us know what he wants us to do. We just have to do it. But then graciously, he gives us his word to, to teach us what his will is, what he wants us to be productive in doing. 
And it's always about his kingdom, not about my own. So in the end, are you an industrious individual? I mean, I'd love to say yes, but I know that I have so much room for improvement. I'm not there yet. I know my wife thinks sometimes that, no, you just need to chill sometimes. But I just, I look at it and I think, man, I'm wasting so much time on myself. Are you diligent and productive? What are you doing with the time? Can you honestly look back and say, here is what has been done with that past time? I challenge you to to use that Google calendar or some other calendar thing and mark down what you're doing with your time that you can go back and you can look at it. If there's a whole lot of blank spaces or a whole lot of places where I was playing Nintendo, I was playing the Wii, I was playing the Xbox. I was, I was uh, golfing. Sorry guys, whatever. If it was all me time, then, then probably I need to readjust and reconsider how I'm using my time because do you use it wisely or wastefully? And finally, then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you um, for the technology that you have given us that we might be able to continue to meet um, even in these days in various ways, Lord. I thank you for the, the body of believers that you've put, us, put together. I thank you for the men who were willing to set aside their own liberties and their own freedoms and their own rights in order to minister um, to the entirety of the body. I thank you, Lord, for um, for your body as a whole that you have placed within us, everyone as you have seen fit. Lord, I pray that you would cause each one to desire to faithfully use the gifts and talents which you have given to them for the good of everyone. And Lord, that you would cause us to be productive individually and as a body for your kingdom's sake. Lord, help us to see the harvest, a harvest of souls, men and women, boys and girls, coming to know you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the Good News Club tomorrow. Lord, that even with a short um, staff of, of, of helpers going, that, Lord, that they would see you move in such a mighty way and the seeds of your kingdom would be planted and rooted in the hearts of these little ones. And that they would share it with their families. And God, that we, even if we don't see it here on earth, Lord, that we would see it in the kingdom. That you would receive the glory and there would be families that are glorifying you. Because of the small little seeds that we're able to sow now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.